Hi everyone, this is Mike Tikalowitz. I am the author of The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, The Pumpkin Plan, and my newest book, Profit First. And you are with me listening to The App Guy. The App Guy Podcast. Straight from your host, Paul, The App Guy. Sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. The App Guy Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. It's me, your host, I'm Paul Kemp, and it's the show where we bring you some of the best founders, the best entrepreneurs, uh, whoever we can find that really inspires us to do great things with our apps. And so if you're an indie app developer, a business owner, entrepreneur, or anything to do with the app world, uh, this is the podcast for you. And uh, I am joined today by a wonderful guest. Uh, he's got a fascinating story uh, ahead of us. His name is Klaus Moberg. You are the CEO and the founder of uh, Snowshoe. And uh, yeah. as far as I know, it's small pieces of plastic that have secret I- digital identities. What a fascinating idea. Welcome to the App Guide podcast. Thanks, thanks. I'm really happy to be here and to tell you about our magical little pieces of plastic. Yeah, well, you know, uh, when I started reading about it, I just thought, what an absolutely fantastic uh, idea. And immediately I I thought of Skylander, the uh, Wii game. So perhaps you could just uh, tell the audience what what Snowshoe is all about and uh, uh, what it it actually does and the the problem it tries to solve. Sure. So I... Snowshoe is in the business of linking real-world physical objects to digital assets. Uh, so you think about the entire realm of digital assets that exist in our app ecosystem today. It ranges from uh, digital content like songs and music and video to financial accounts to user authentication to characters in a, in a video game. Uh, and Snowshoe makes a technology that lets any one of those digital assets uh, be represented by a real-world physical object, and where the way the physical object is linked to that digital asset uh, is is detectable or works through the capacitive touchscreen on any mobile device. So in layman's terms, and a much more simple way of describing it, we make little pieces of plastic that you can touch to the screen of your smartphone have something magical happen on the digital side of the app, whether it's a toy that represents a character or a weapon in a, in a mobile game, or whether it's a piece of a plastic card like your credit card that gives you access to a financial account or to some secure space. Um, we make simple pieces of plastic that have digital identity and that can be identified, where that digital identity can be identified on any mobile device. So immediately, I'm already thinking of so many applications that this could have. I mean, one of the big challenges we have as app developers is the, well, the first thing is that we have to give 30% of our revenue to Apple uh, through in-app purchases. So yeah. Im- immediately, my first thought is, why not sell these as uh, keys to unlock certain aspects of a game and sell them physically direct to the consumer? I guess, is that an application you've thought of before? Yeah, it is, and and it's buoyed by the fact that the the pieces, you know, the 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 authentication, the front end software, the SDK that's used to identify the individual pieces, either works in native or in in mobile web applications, and so uh, 
that you it certainly can be used to sell uh, physical op objects that represent digital assets in almost any context, and that's certainly either inside the App Store or outside the App Store. Um, wow. Yeah. It's just, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I set up this podcast, because you get to chat with such interesting people like yourself and what great ideas. So how did you come about, uh, you know, the, initially this idea? What, what was the spark that kind of led to sure. you down the road of setting up Snowshoe? So uh, going all the way back to the spring of 2010, um, I was working on my PhD at the University of Wisconsin, uh, and uh a couple of friends and I decided to start a company as part of a business plan competition as sort of a side project. Um, there was a business plan competition that was giving away $50,000. Uh, it's only open to University of Wisconsin students, and the previous year they'd only had 12 applicants. So basically it seemed like the, the best odds of winning the lottery that we'd ever face. <laughs> um, we came up with the idea of a smartphone app that would function as your your grocery store loyalty program so replace everything that's on your your grocery store loyalty card with an application that can you know give you additional information about the food items in the store but also do digital couponing and real-time couponing and all, all sorts of other things that are only possible if the, the loyalty program is based in a computer as opposed to a piece of plastic um, we actually ended up winning the business plan competition. We started the company. We signed up our first few clients. And then we ran into a really big problem, which was that we needed a way to redeem digital coupons when, when the customer was actually at the point of sale and buying the product that the coupon was supposed to give them a discount for. Uh, and most of the time, these were coupons where the food manufacturer was paying the face value of the coupon and we had to effectuate a, a payment between the, the, you know, the, the company making the bag of crisps and the, the, the grocer that was actually selling them. Um, we started off trying to integrate with the point of sale systems of the grocery store, but unfortunately most of them were older than we were. Um, <laughs> and integrating with that, I mean, like one of the, one of the operating systems we were looking at was something called IBM 4130. <laughs> <laughs> And it was literally like 32 years old, and this is like three years ago. Um, so the idea of like doing some sort of dynamic integration uh, without working natively with the people who had built that operating system seemed kind of scary. Uh, so we started looking for ways to authenticate a coupon redemption that would reside entirely outside the point of sale system. So again, we just needed to prove that somebody displaying a digital coupon on their phone screen was standing at the point of sale and buying the item that the coupon was for. Uh, at first we thought, well, what if we just give the, the cashier a PIN code that they type into the user's phone screen? Um, but we talked to a lot of our users and nobody wanted the cashier to touch their phone screen with their greasy fingers. Um, and we thought about other ways of doing this, scanning QR codes back and forth, but this was Wisconsin, which uh, is, is somewhat the tail of the <laughs> smartphone market in the United States, uh, and QR codes just are not not really a approachable technology for a lot of our target customers. Um, looked at a, a bunch of more expensive ways of doing this with NFC and BTLE and, and all sorts of dynamic wired devices, but um, actually they all suffered from one really key flaw, which is that they didn't work on every smartphone. You know, my iPhone doesn't have an NFC antenna. Um, a lot of Android devices don't have a BTLE antenna. Uh, it, it, it just it wasn't a, a 
you know, cross-platform compatible solution. So we took a step back and said, okay, what are the sensors that are already standardized on every phone? Uh, and we sort of made this matrix of, of all of the different sensors that are standardized and all the different models that, that have employed those sensors. And we realized the capacitive touch display was, was already very well standardized. You know, all phones these days are multi-touch uh, phone, phone screens. Uh, and then we, it was a pretty precise instrument that we could use to communicate some sort of secure key. Um, we walked down to our local hacker space, a great place called Sector 67, uh, <laughs> jumped on a, a, a CNC mill, um, milled the first stamp out of a solid block of aluminum, hacked together a very simple and, quite frankly, bad algorithm to detect the, the individual touch points that we had milled out of this block of aluminum and uh, started showing it around to people and it worked pretty well. Um, so basically, we figured out a way to to give this this passive block of aluminum with no battery, no power, no circuitry, no antenna, a digital identity that could be detected by the phone screen. Um, and the idea was that we would give these these stamps to the cashiers at the grocery we were working with, and to redeem that coupon, you would just display a digital coupon on the screen of your phone, and they would stamp it with this block of aluminum. And uh, that would prove that you're at the point of sale buying the specific, you know, bag of chips or whatever that it, it was that the, the coupon was good for. What um, a wonderful story. What an amazing, like, journey you've just taken us on in terms of finding that uh, solution to a, a problem. And then obviously morphing your original company to then focus, I guess, a lot more on the stamp side of things and less on the coupon. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we started showing that prototype around to all of our friends who were also doing startup-y kind of stuff. And, and everyone, A, really liked it, and B, said, actually, I would like to use, I might want to use that for a game, or I could use that for a physical factor of authentication for user login, or, you know, and we started hearing all these different things that people were thinking about, you know, were proposing to use these stamps for. Um, and, and so we pretty quickly realized that we had probably come up with something that had pretty broad application outside of the specific, you know, niche problem that we had set out to solve. Um, and so we, we, you know, over the course of a couple of months ended up pivoting the company to just pursue the technology that we had invented and, and do it as a, a developer facing platform, as opposed to a company that's building the end user facing applications ourselves. Yeah, and actually all the successful companies do seem to pivot at some point. I mean, Instagram <laughs> came out of, uh, you know, an accident. Uh, I mean, going back, actually way back, uh, Post-it Notes, uh, I think, was an accident right. as well. So, uh, you know, all these great ideas seem to come and derive from an accident. Uh, Klaus, I'd like to pick up on the fact that uh, many of the people listening are potentially working in uh, positions that they don't particularly enjoy, uh, you know, maybe bosses that they don't like to work with, or, or you know, are given sort of really uh, restrictive remits to work. So, you know, write this piece of code to do this job, uh, and, and that's their, their day. Just hearing you go through that, that challenge, uh, that problem solving, it must be so interesting uh, working as the CEO and, uh, of such a cool startup. What, what's it like? It's it's interesting. I mean, um, it, I, I generally suffer from almost debilitating levels of ADD, and so a job where somebody's saying you you have to go do 
X and then Y, and then once X and Y are done, use them to do Z is uh, is something that I respond very poorly to. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, the startup lifestyle kind of fits my temperament very well because every day is a different challenge. And and specifically, what's nice, what what I find great, I've never worked in in the private sector. I've never actually had like a quote unquote real job. Um, you know, I, I was a I was a grad student getting my PhD, uh, and then immediately founded this company while I was in grad school. And ended up dropping out of the PhD to do this. Um, I, at least in my experience in grad school, you know, you have a good day at work. You do something impressive. You write a new bit of code. You 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 do something that's really cool, and you might see a benefit from that two or three years down the line when you get a paper published or you finally pass your qualifier exam or something like that. Um, in, in, with a startup, you know, you have a good day at work and you have immediate positive feedback that day. You have a new client, you have a new investor, you have an app launched, you have, you know, something, uh, something tangible that you can point to. And the feedback loops are just so much shorter that for, for someone like me with this, you know, rather debilitating ADD, it, it just works so much better to, to have those short feedback loops. It's so inspiring to hear you talk through that. And uh, I think that, you know, a lot of people listening, would we want to work for uh, ourselves or startups. And you've just helped quantify, you know, perhaps some of the reasons why. Uh, and it's just to have, you know, days like that in terms of problem solving and pivoting your company and uh, doing all that interesting stuff. But there are, I guess there's downsides. I mean, uh, you know, like, so often the founders that we speak to on this podcast say that uh, uh, raising uh, capital or funding is a bit of a a, a ball ache. (laughs) So uh, how do you cope with that? Do you segregate that? Do you uh, uh, appoint someone? Do you have someone else doing that for you? Or or how do you cope with the funding? Um, so, so Snowshoes actually been pretty successful raising funding to date, but it is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Uh, you know, it's, uh, especially starting the company in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, let's just say that Madison is not a hotbed of the, the venture capital community. Uh, you know, uh, there have been very few sort of true internet technology companies to come out of Wisconsin and the investor, even the angel investors in, in, in the community where we started the company, you know, if they exist, they, they have most, most of their experiences investing in university licensed like medical devices and, and, and health tech startups and stuff like that, agribusiness startups. And they have, you know, I've actually sat in front of an angel group in Wisconsin where not a single person had a smartphone and this is in the last three years. <laughs> um, and so oh, it's 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 you know raising funding especially in that community was extremely challenging um since then we've actually we we, we got into a technology accelerator called TechStars in boulder and after graduating from TechStars in boulder last summer we actually moved to uh move the company out to san francisco and uh while there's certainly a greater supply of of startup funding, especially at the seed stage out here, it's still just extremely difficult. Um, it's really a game that you have to learn to play, and you're trying to figure out the rules to the game at the same time that you're trying to make your next move, and and it's it's a really big challenge figuring out how to leverage, you know, one interested party off of another, and how to line up everyone so you're so people are progressing through your 
your your process at the same time and and it's it's just really it it is a full-time job while you're doing it um and extremely difficult and extremely nerve-wracking because you know certainly at times you don't know if you don't succeed you don't know where your salary is going to come from uh you know a month or two from now yeah i can imagine it puts a lot of pressure on uh, how's angellist.co been for you has that been a pretty good uh, platform to be on uh we've we've gotten a lot of uh angel lists we've used angel lists mostly for hr for hiring um and and especially in wisconsin i would say none of the investors were on angel lists and especially a year and a half ago when we were located there um we're now a little bit beyond the point of raising on angel lists uh we're, we're raising rounds that are probably a little bit bigger than 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 what the Angelist syndicates do. They're not not terribly bigger, but um, it's a little bit. We're a little bit past that point. So um, you know, I think the whole idea of crowdfunding for for internet technology startups like this is really intriguing. Um, I think it has both significant benefits in terms of being able to move more quickly and being able to gain access to a much broader pool of potential investors. But it also has has some. Uh, significant risks associated with it in that uh, oftentimes your investors, you know, it's kind of cliche to say this, but they really can add value apart from the, the financial value of the checks they're writing. And if your only relationship is through a crowdfunding platform, I don't, and I don't think necessarily that AngelList is exactly like this, but there are certainly platforms out there where your only relationship is through the platform. Um, it's a much harder for you to access that those that you know, develop the relationship that's required to really t- access that additional value. Um, yeah, of course, it's not all about the finance, is it? It's about the additional right. stuff, the, the the mentoring, the support, the networking, and all. The networking, the introductions, the the other portfolio companies that they can introduce you to, and um, if it's something, if it's somebody that you've only met once, or in some of the situations, only met as as somebody whose wire transfer came through after they committed to something online. Um, you're not going to have access to all of those other things that can really help move your company forward. And so uh, I guess I'd just appeal to uh, all the indie app developers listening who, uh, you know, maybe seeking additional work, then, you know, you mentioned that AngelList was great for HR. And uh, if you if you haven't uh, come across it, it's angellist.co. You should actually, if you're an indie app developer, go and uh, seek it out and uh, get Get, get recognized because uh, like you say there's a lot of work going through there and and I'm not I'm sure you're not unique in in terms of hiring through AngelList no I, I think it's 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 uh, that's definitely one of a big trend that we see amongst all of our our, our friends out here in the startup industry is that uh, uh, AngelList is becoming a really important go-to place for for finding especially the first you know, ten or fifteen hires, especially technical hires, especially people that are comfortable working in in startups where a significant portion of your compensation may be in the form of equity as opposed to cash. Um, it, it's a really uh, it, it's a really good way to find those sort of qualified leads uh, that 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 can end up being really good for a company at this stage. So uh, we're the App Guy podcast. We love talking about apps, and we we, wouldn't, we love to ask this question. Um, you obviously must carry a smartphone. <laughs> what could you recommend? Uh, two or three apps that you perhaps think may not have been mentioned before that that you use to to actually manage your company and get through the day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So one of my absolute favorite apps is something called Mobile Day. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't, no. Okay. Um, so I, as at least in, in what I do on a daily basis, I probably end up calling into at least one, if not a handful of conference calls every day. And uh, Mobile Day is an app that basically accesses the local calendar on your phone and extracts the conference call dial-in information. So you can open this app, and actually it'll, it'll send you push notifications for your conference calls as well, but basically you hit one button in the app and it does all of the rest of the call-in for, for joining the conference call automatically. So automatic, you know, dials the initial number, waits the right amount of time, dials the, the dial-in code, presses pound if it needs to. They've, they've scripted all of this so that it works with every single conference call system that's out there. It's completely free to use, and it basically makes that what is normally, you know, typing alphanumeric codes that could be up to 15 characters long to just join a conference call as simple as just hitting one button. Um, what an awesome app. That is the first time that's been mentioned. It just sounds great. It's it's literally something I use every single day. And, and it's great because it'll literally get, now it gives me a calendar notification um, one minute before the conference call starts and I can hit one button in that notification and automatically join the conference call. <laughs> and it's never let you down. No, no. Uh, maybe once or twice back when they first launched about six months ago, there was a one conference call system that I guess they hadn't scripted the dial-in process for yet, but but no, it's it's it definitely, I mean, literally I use it every day and it does not let me down at all. Well, that's great. Thanks for sharing that one because that is the first time we've heard of, well, certainly I've heard of Mobile Day and it's been shared on this podcast. Um, any more ideas or, sorry, apps that you tend to use? Yeah. Um, I mean, so there's all, all the standard ones for somebody living in San Francisco like Uber. <laughs> Uh, let me just I think they're going through another uh, round of funding which is valuing the company at 17 billion now <laughs> so they're just they're just <laughs> oh they're just growing and uh, growing at a phenomenal yeah. rate so, uh, so another one that I really like uh, is actually I, I don't think they have a native app but it's a it's a mobile app that I bookmark I use it as a native app is a site called producthunt.com um, it's a, a daily leaderboard for product announcements. Uh, so imagine Hacker News, but the only thing that can be submitted is new product announcements. And then it, the, the new submissions every day are upvoted. The best ones rise to the top. Um, uh, especially for indie developers out there, uh, this is something that you should be submitting all of your new projects to. Um, we When we launched uh, the relaunched our snowshoe stamp platform back in February. Uh, we submitted our you know, snowshoe to, to Product Hunt, and we actually received more qualified inbound to our website from, from trending on Product Hunt than we received from being number one on Hacker News uh, a few months prior to that. So right. okay. uh, if you want to get like product gurus using, looking at using, giving feedback on, uh, demoing your 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 new product that you're about to to launch or that you're, you've already launched, you should definitely uh, be posting it to Product Hunt. It's an amazing curated community of of product guys that that will uh, <laughs> an invaluable resource when you're just starting off with a new project. That's great. That's terrific. Um, so uh, the other thing we like to do, Klaus, is that we. 
uh, like to come up with an app idea ourselves just through uh, the podcast. And uh, the way we do it is either ask you outright, do you have any ideas for apps that you're willing to share with a community of indie app developers? Uh, or, sure. uh, well, you do? Oh, well, I mean, so to be a little bit self-serving, um, you know, we make a, Snowshoe Stamps are a, a fantastic platform for a large number of apps. And there's a bunch of them that we would, we think are really fantastic ideas that haven't been built yet and that we're certainly not going to build ourselves. Um, but I don't know if that's outside the spirit. Of yeah, the, let's go for it. Okay. Um, so again, think about uh, what we do is we make these little pieces of plastic that uh, represent uh, digital assets, right? Um, mm-hmm. One thing I'm really interested in is if you think back to when you used to carry around uh, CDs or DVDs, right? Uh, obviously, the CD or DVD represented the 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 or carried around the bits that represented the song or, or movie that you were going to watch or listen to. Um, but they also represented the the DRM license, and everyone, including the artists and the movie the, the movie producers, and everyone was perfectly happy with the idea that if I bought a DVD and then loaned it to my friend, my friend could watch the DVD when he had the disc, but I couldn't. And then when he gave it back to me. I could watch the 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 movie, but you know he could no longer watch it. Whoever had physical possession of this physical object could had had access to the digital asset. Um, I think that there's a really interesting app to be made in in the music space that's basically taking a, a snowshoe stamp and giving it uh, imbuing it with like a playlist, like almost like a. a, a um, mixtape or something like that that you can then pass around amongst your friends and each person who gets it can listen to the the set of songs that have been added to that playlist already but where the next person who gets it can modify it in some way add a song or subtract a song or something like that and and the entire uh set of songs that's represented by this physical device is accessed by whoever has has actually had that physical device passed through their ownership does that make sense? I'm not sure if I'm describing No, that character. makes absolute sense. I mean, literally, what a great idea in terms of going back to the nostalgic kind of era where we were carrying these CDs around or like someone would, uh, yeah, give us a mixtape kind of thing and uh, I'm only the person in physical possession would be able to play that. And uh, yeah, that, that sounds like a, you know an incredibly good idea. I'm trying to think there has been a... Oh, there's been a company that may have been shut down uh, that was trying to uh, do something similar, but I don't think it was with physical, the physical okay. side of it. But, uh, you know, where... I actually the, think the, the, the physical device is like a super important part of this. I think that's what makes it feel tangible to people, that, that it's the idea that you've had this physical device pass through your ownership is what gives you access to a digital asset. Um, and it actually makes the analog to to the old days when we used to pass around CDs or tapes that we were really interested in, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Because, I mean, it, obviously the people that need to be convinced are the, the owners of the rights for the music. Sure. And uh, I think, as I said, it's been something similar, but it was purely digital. And uh, with the physical uh, presence of, of some... some um, yeah, device like, like well, a snowshoe that that, yeah. that definitely could uh, could appeal to the the people that own the the rights to the music and uh, yeah, maybe um, you've just created the next CD. That'd be cool. I mean, you know, again, like like I there, there's obviously 
the broad market is going to be owned by either streaming services like Spotify or by my own personal library that I, it's way more convenient to carry around a phone with a digital library than it is to carry around a library of, of tapes for CDs, right? But I still think in terms of music discovery and, and this idea that I have this cool thing that I can share with my actual friends, having the physical analog to the digital asset and passing that around is there's just something so cool about it. Um, well, well, why stop there? I mean, you could go. Right. What uh, you could almost apply this to a lot of different things that have changed over the years. So, like the way we communicate, you know, I could put some kind of personal message on on this physical device. Yeah, I could actually, you know, meet you in a park with a, a sealed envelope, pass you the yeah. issue, and uh, and only that would then play on your your device. And so, so it's a yeah. physical way of, tra- of of passing along digital assets, where the digital asset that itself resides in the cloud, but it can only be accessed by people who have or have had the the physical object in their possession. Yeah, but, I mean, as uh, you know, obviously with the era of uh, any communication that's digital uh, is open to uh, security breaches. Um, so, you know, the, the idea of anything that's private, you know, if there's some incredibly important information that I had to share with you, uh, then the idea of do, doing that via a snowshoe, then is right. quite appealing. So, so anyone who wants to build these can just go to our website and request a free dev kit and we'll, we'll ship it out. So, uh, Oh, wonderful. Okay. So that We'd love to have, I'm totally serious about this. We would really love to have and, and help and support people who are interested in building stuff like this. Um, and yeah, just snow.sh uh, and fill out the form at the bottom of the page and we'll, we'll ship off a free dev kit with two stamps to you uh, that same day. Wonderful. That's, a, that's fantastic. So definitely appeal to uh, people listening. You know, all you indie app developers, take up, take up Klaus on his offer there. The, the one thing I would suggest in, in terms of making that absolutely great is if the uh, if the uh, device, the plastic device, was to self-destruct after 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> work on that. Um, and I'm not sure if they've, if they've developed 3D printable dynamite yet, but uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe that's a new growth area for us. Yeah, I think they've just come out, actually. I mean, uh, I know we're getting towards the end of the uh, podcast, but I've got to ask you about 3D printing because I think they've yeah. just come out with a $250 uh, 3D printer in one Absolutely. of the events. So. Uh, I, I mean that, that's amazing that this is going to transform yeah. like it's, surely this is going to have an impact on you I mean it, it absolutely is you know uh, for us to be doing what we're doing right now so so I don't know if we've covered this but every single stamp we make is built on a 3D printer and we run a, a farm of 3D printers right now that are literally producing these things day and night um, you know the cost of doing that 10 years ago would have been just completely prohibitive. There's no idea, There's no possible way we could have been using 3D printing as a as a manufacturing technology. And it's critical to what we do because every stamp has to be unique because every stamp has this physical attribute that's uniquely identified when it's touched to the screen of a smartphone. Um, the the as those printers come down in cost, the cost of our hardware comes down significantly. And what you know used to cost us twenty dollars each stamp to mill out of a solid block of aluminum. You know, now each stamp costs me about thirty-four cents to manufacture, uh, and and that's just going to keep going down as as the printers themselves become less expensive, and as frankly for us, as we increase 
capacity and and buy you know get bigger and bigger quantity discounts on the feedstocks that we're buying. But it's terribly exciting to see the the cost of of 3D printers coming down so far because it's a great technology for manufacturing anything where each individual item that you're building needs to be unique. So do you envision uh, almost a future whereby uh, we can send this uh, pl- plastic snowshoe to yeah. uh, someone else, you know, halfway across the, the world, they print it out on their 3D printer and then the device does what it needs to uh, on the yeah. on the phone? Um, we've, we, that, that future is here today. I mean, we've had people in other countries print their own stamps. Um, you know, right now the, the printer that's required is a little bit specialized. It's not, not that it's a, you know, it's not a $250 printer. It has to be a printer that, uh, has a heated build plate and two plastic extruders because we print with two different plastics at the same time. Um, but those, you know, the printer that we make them on costs $2,800, uh, and it's available worldwide. So we've already had, you know, we've already had developers just ask us for the file. We've sent it to them. They've printed their own stamps and started using them. Uh, and and we'd love to see that continue as as more and more printers get out there, and especially more printers that are capable of doing exact of printing the exact type of objects that we're making uh, with the snowshoe stamps. Yeah, because I could imagine that's great distribution for you as well in terms of distributing that uh, worldwide to anyone who has one of those printers, and then they can become like a local franchise who then. Yeah. Uh, distribute out to the consumers uh, that way. It, what an exciting future. Uh, Klaus, I could talk to you all day about this. It's uh, w- wonderful. Um, you, you've inspired me, no doubt inspired a lot of people listening. Uh, well, how best can we reach out to you and connect? Uh, is it is it best to get in touch with you through the website, Snowshoe? Uh, you can do that. I mean, I, I'm perfectly happy to have people email me personally. It's just uh, Klaus, C-L-A-U-S, just like Santa Claus, at snow.sh. Um yeah, you know, uh, if you have great ideas for how to use the stamp, if you think it's completely terrible and want to give me your thoughts on on how we can make it better, we'd love to hear it. Um, uh, certainly, you know, we're a developer-facing platform. We need as many developers building on this technology as possible, and we're we're terribly passionate about seeing what kind of cool stuff people can build with with the stuff with the technology that we've invented. So, uh, please go to our website. Request the free dev kit. We'll get it to you as soon as as soon as 3D printer be possible. Um, and and we're just terribly excited to see what people build, uh, what kind of apps they can build that span the physical and digital worlds. Wonderful, Klaus. What a great journey. I'd love to have you back on uh, anytime uh, to, to just follow your story. But in the meantime, it just leaves me to say thanks for coming on the App Guy podcast. It's been a joy, and uh, all the best with everything you're getting up to there. Thanks, and, and thanks so much for having me. It's really it's been a great conversation, and it's definitely a, an honor to be put in front of this, this uh, population of developers. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. If you want to be a guest on the show or suggest someone, then please send an email to info at onemob.com. The App Guy Podcast.